From the Bartlett Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis at UCL, you're listening to The Global Lab. In this episode, we'll be talking about risk and crisis management. Faced with more and more unfamiliar hazards, planners and governments want to know whether their preparations are sufficient. Citizens are increasingly asking the same questions. Dr. Sitomi Nakanishi of the University of Canberra and Sarah Wise of UCL's CASA were interested in how new kinds of simulation could be used to help people understand evacuation. They wanted to know how different approaches to crisis management might produce different outcomes. Working together with Professor Yoshihiro Suonaga of Kagawa University, they developed an agent-based model of community evacuation behaviour during storm surge events. They took their model to government meetings and community workshops around Takamatsu, the home of Kagawa University. Today they're here to tell us about their project and what members of the public thought about applied simulation. Later, we'll hear from Mr. Ranga Wagadalan, a PhD student at University of Canberra who also works for Indonesia's National Development Planning Ministry. He'll talk about the future use of simulations as an analysis tool by government agencies, based on his own experience in Indonesia, and how it can be used to help develop more data-driven planning policies. First, we hear from Sarah and Tatoni in conversation with CASA's Dr. Thomas Evans. I'm Hitomi Nakanishi. Uh, I work at the University of Canberra uh, in the area of urban planning. Um, I, I am expert in urban transport planning and also disaster management evacuation modeling. I'm Sarah Wise. I'm a lecturer in agent-based modeling uh, at CASA. Okay, so uh, thank you for those introductions. There's some interesting details there that we're going to have to come back to to get more detail later on. Um, but let's start with just an introduction of, of what we're talking about today. So Hitomi, um, you, Sarah, yeah. and some other authors I know, uh, have written a research paper called uh, Simulating Emergencies with Transport Outcomes uh, Simulation, Application of an Agent-Based Decision Support Tool to Community Evacuation Planning, right? So this is a fantastic uh, academic research paper title. Um, but just for a more general audience, maybe you could give us a really brief summary of what this piece of research is about. Yeah, so um, we have developed um, the uh, agent-based model simulating evacuation of the population in Takamatsu City, Kagawa, in Japan, where um, in this area, the typhoon in 2004 uh, was a wake-up wake up call for them, for the population, that they need to start preparing for the disaster to come. And the professor, Yoshihiro Suenaga, um, joined us uh, in simulating, in particular his uh, expertise is storm surge simulation. So he joined us in terms of uh, simulating the storm surge, which is incorporated into our ABM. And also uh, Professor Ed Manley, who is now at the University of Leeds, uh, joined us in developing the ABM. Okay, great. So again, there's some, some really interesting details here we're going to have to break down. We'll talk a little bit later about uh, what these agent-based models actually are, what we mean by that. Um, but first, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to talk about the area that your research is for. So this is a, a piece of research about flood risk, about evacuation planning. And you mentioned there the area is this uh, Takamatsu city. Um, so, so could you just tell us where is this city uh, and what's its situation? 
Takamatsu is located to Shikoku Island, where which is a 300k west to Osaka. We, I think the Osaka is the second biggest city in Japan, so popular to international audience. And the, this area has been experiencing average 20 typhoons every year. And this Seto Inland Sea area is the trajectory of typhoons. So they got a quite big typhoon, probably one or two typhoons every year and affected the, the shorelines are always affected by the storm surge. But to a degree, um, because of the infrastructure, uh, the residents have not been affected so much, except for a few uh, big typhoons in the past. But because of the recent, uh, the, um, the sea level rise, etc., the risks are increasing, then the important thing about this paper is we need to, uh, we want to, we wanted to increase the perception of people uh, saying that this is not going to be the similar case to the past disaster. We need to prepare and and we need to uh, be, we need to be enhancing our resilience to the disaster. So that was a starting point of this research. Okay, so th this this area then, the, the Seto Inland Sea, you're saying the typhoons are coming in from the Pacific and traveling along this body of water. Um, yeah. I guess it's a really interesting area from, from a sort of a disaster point of view. Um, I guess, so for, for our British uh, listeners, the Seto Inland Sea is, is um, it's the southern part of Japan. It's about half the area of the Irish Sea, in fact, but it's kind of a, a different shape and it's very long and thin, right? Sort of 450 kilometers long, but, but relatively uh, narrow area. Um, so is there anything about uh, this Takamatsu city um, that makes it uh, interesting from an evacuation point of view? What's the population like, for example? The population is uh, quite sort of, um, I mean, there are, I think, um, mixed. There, there were many of the uh, population local, locally born, but because of the, this is sort of the economic hub of Sikok Island, there are some, uh, I think around 20% populations are coming from different parts of Japan, and they just stay probably up to five years and leave. So these people are not really familiar with the storm surge of Seto Inland Sea. So that is also making a challenge to the evacuation issue. And also, uh, the in general, the Japanese populations are aging. And mm. if you look at some fact figures from the recent floods in Japan, from uh, 2008, for example, 2018 West Japan floods, and the recent dry floods in Kumamoto, the, uh, in Kyushu area, the majority of the victims are older people. And this is really um, uh, becoming a big challenge for all the local uh, authorities in terms of helping those people who need assistance, but also uh, alarming them that their existing risk perception may be not enough. Okay, I see. So we have a city with a, 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 a perhaps a large proportion of elderly people, um, not necessarily prepared for sort of flood events. Mm -hmm. um, so I can see why this would be a really uh, important area to study. Um, just before we, we come to Sarah, there's one more thing uh, I want to ask uh, that came up from your introduction, because uh, you said, uh, Hitomi, that in 2004, there was a major a flooding event in this area. 
Um, so what happened then and what was the what were the lessons that were learned from that perhaps? Yeah, uh, in 2004, three typhoons uh, affected uh, to this Seto inland area, but also Patakamats area. And that was really a sort of disaster year for people in Takamatsu. In particular, after a pretty dry summer in the, in the past 10 years. Um, in 1992, the, it, it was, I think, the driest summer. Then the people were really concerned about the shortage of water. So comparing with these issues and then having typhoon, uh, continuously in 2004, that was really a big challenge for them. And also, also they needed to uh, face with unprecedented uh, event. In so back to 2004, uh, the typhoon, the first biggest typh big typhoon arrived uh, late August, 31st of August, and then they flooded uh, the CBD area of Takamatsu. Then in October, another typhoon came, but and then that this typhoon also affected Takamatsu, but in a different part of Takamatsu, and also caused a massive landslide in the mountainous area. Then another typhoon came in October again, and this also flooded in the different parts of Takamatsu. Okay, so it's a very dis destructive period, and I guess there's a lot of damage caused, and and um, it's very dangerous for the local population, of course. I think maybe listeners might remember uh, themselves uh, the tsunami of uh, 2011, which was obviously a different part of Japan, which was affected. Um, I mean, that one led to the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I remember from the news all the terrible footage of, of people trying to uh, get away from that disaster in their cars and, and not being able to. So. Um, were there also lessons learned that are relevant from that particular disaster? Yeah, the difference between tsunami and storm surge we are looking into is tsunami is coming like a big uh, wave, but the storm surge is uh, that water is gradually water level is gradually rising, mm. so people really don't aware until the last minute. So. The, unfortunately, a few older people died uh, because they didn't realize the water level is so rising. And, and it, in particular, and also the interesting thing about Seto Inland Sea is because of the summer high tide season, the water level tends to get higher than expected. And that is a tricky thing. And that's why we have Professor Suenaga, who is expert in this marine environment and storm surge. Okay, uh, I see. So um, just moving now to, to Sarah, uh, maybe you could tell us, Sarah, um, what the importance is of studying evacuation patterns more generally? What is it you want to learn and, and, and what were you looking to learn in this study? Absolutely. So one of the things that's quite interesting about evacuation patterns is that by definition, they involve people fleeing from a threat. Uh, it's very difficult to simulate that, to emulate that in, in a sort of drill uh, involving real people because by definition it's unethical to expose people to a risk or a peril in order to gain an understanding of how they might behave uh, in order to plan for the future. So if you want to know where should you put, um, say, a shelter or where should you put personnel on the ground to facilitate that evacuation, it's quite difficult to know that 
without having very good data. Um, that's increasingly an issue with things like climate change because you're seeing risks or threats happening in places and in ways and on scales that have never happened before. So a lot of the ways where historically you could use uh, data or examples from particularly um, relevant local cases of evacuations, uh, it used to be that you could go to that and say, okay, so you know, when there's a wildfire here, we need to close this road down all the time. Um, that's no longer the case if you're having uh, events, which as I said, are larger or uh, at a different time of year uh, or some other thing. So you can't use past experience. So it's very important to be able to simulate that, to project what uh, might happen in these new circumstances under these new conditions uh, without obviously actually putting people in peril to test your hypothesis. So that's why we're really interested in simulating this because you have this new set, this emerging set of problems uh, which we can address with behavioral simulation. I see, yeah, I can imagine it's very difficult to test these things where you know you have very little control. Obviously you have no control over when the event occurs, you just have to kind of observe what's happened on these rare occasions when there's been a disaster. So um, this is where the simulation you're talking about comes in. So um, Hitomi mentioned earlier uh, this idea of agent-based modeling, and this is the kind of simulation approach that, that was taken here, I think. So maybe could you explain, Sarah, what is agent-based modeling? Absolutely. Agent-based modeling is my thing. Uh, agent-based modeling is the practice of looking at a system and trying to understand how it works as a function of sort of smaller uh, behavioral units within it. And that's very general. So I typically use the example of, let's say that you wanted to understand something like traffic. You want to understand where um, traffic jams traditionally happen, uh, what causes them, and what you could do to uh, prevent them. So if you wanted to do something like that, you would break down the system of traffic and say, okay, we know that traffic happens because there's little cars interacting. Traffic doesn't exist without multiple cars interacting with each other. So what you do is you break the system down into the individual cars and you say, this car wants to go from this part of the highway to the other part of the highway. It doesn't want to hit any other cars. Otherwise it wants to go as fast as it can. So you break down the system into these individual behavioral units, the cars, and then you put them in an environment where they interact with each other. And from that, from those, aggregate uh, properties of the cars on the road, you gain some understanding of traffic. That's very different from other traditional approaches which might treat the cars like um, uh, water flowing through a tube or, or some sort of fluid dynamics approach, uh, some sort of system dynamics approach where it's, it's you're looking at the aggregate but you're not looking at the individual uh, behavioral units interacting with each other and making their decisions based on their context. So it's very useful for situations where there is randomness, where differences between those behavioral units uh, matter. So it's, or where um, your position in space might influence the decisions you make. So it's, it's a very powerful methodology for capturing some of that heterogeneity, that um, stochasticity 
in the system. So it's kind of like a computer game, right? It's like inside your computer, you've got all these little cars that are, in an abstract sense, moving around, you know, a, a, a sort of simulated road network. My mother basically thinks I make a slightly better validated version of SimCity uh, for uh, all of my projects. Uh, well, it's worse than you can do. Okay, so so let's move then to um, how exactly agent-based modeling was used in this particular study. So we understand now this is a, a method where we represent sort of individuals, which I guess could be cars or people or whatever, um, and when we look at what they're doing in some kind of simulated world. Um, so what exactly was being represented in this study um, as the agent-based model? So what we did was we broke the simulation down. We had individual members of the population represented by our agents. So every person within the system was represented by their own agent. And we were interested in understanding how those individuals would make the choice uh, to evacuate, where they would go, when they would go. So the system was broken down into our individual people who were assigned to a home location and a work location and went about their day um, doing default behavior. And at the end of the day, which was traditionally when um, storm surges in this area tend to happen at night, just due to uh, the way that the storm surge works. Uh, Professor Swenega assures me, <laughs> never having experienced it myself, I can't say but um, there's the evacuation period where people may decide to evacuate to a shelter. So the shelters also uh, have behaviors in that they fill up with people and they have a sort of maximum capacity. So the people are choosing whether to evacuate and where to go. And then the shelters are determining whether they have enough space to take in someone who arrives there and um, needs to, wants to take shelter there. Uh, so an individual who arrives looking for shelter may find that the shelter is actually full and will then have to make a decision where they'll go next. So this sounds like a very, very sophisticated um, model when you've got individuals making decisions. Um, and are you representing the whole city of Takumatsu? Because I think that's about 400,000 people or more. In the context of this paper, uh, we're doing a slightly smaller area, but you're quite correct. The, the overall Takamatsu area is fairly large. Uh, we're doing a smaller area, and in a lot of cases we've, that we've been experimenting with, uh, we've been looking at smaller neighborhood units, which is something that Hitomi, I think, will talk about a little bit more, is us trying to focus on the experiences of individual neighborhoods in that larger context. Uh, but it is very possible to do the entire um, Takamatsu area. It's just a question of having the data and having the um, computing power, which is which is with modern developments totally possible. That is very very impressive stuff. So one question I have is uh, okay. So you, you, this simulation and and this question could be for uh, Hitomi here. Um, you create this simulation. Did you, did you get in, uh, input from local people as well to understand their thoughts? We, um, we brought this to the local workshop, so the residents get together and looked at our, our simulation. And yes, of course, we, we, we got some feedback. 
also we brought this simulation to discuss with government officials who are in charge of the disaster management and how realistic our simulation is then we got the sort of the confirmation that this looks like a real situation sarah i think you wanted to come in there just one thing that was that i felt really lucky in terms of working with uh both Hitomi and Professor Swanaga was that we, the initial stages of the project included a symposium where we talked about the work, but we also um, had feedback from an audience composed entirely of local people in the area. And they filled out a survey about their experiences, um, their, dura you know, the duration of time they lived in the area, their memory of past events, but also things like how would they choose uh, a shelter to which to evacuate? How would they choose when to evacuate? Um, this kind of thing. So we were building the entire model and the, all of the sort of behavioral patterns based on this survey data that Hitomi and Professor Swanaga had collected, uh, which, you know, as an agent-based modeler was a real treat to be able to work with really well-situated community level data on this uh and i think hitomi could probably talk more about the, the that survey uh than i can but it was it was really enjoyable for me to work with that yeah so we uh we conducted questionnaire surveys both uh on paper based but also online based for people who couldn't attend the symposium and we collected the data based on that we call this data preference um, in other research term, but how where they want to to go to take a shelter and what a travel mode they would take and what are they bringing etc and what sort of timing are they start evacuating so we collected these data from the residents and then integrated into the simulation Okay, so one other question I had was, um, obviously people have made evacuation models before, maybe for different areas. Um, is there anything special about your model that makes it different from those others? I think the one of the, I think the con contribution that we made is uh, we used this simulation to discuss evacuation planning with residents. It's not just about the model itself, it's also about the how residents use our simulation to the discussion in enhancing evacuation strategy. And that is what I think that, that one of the biggest contributions that we made. From what I saw from reading your paper as well, you seem to have a really detailed sort of model of the, the dynamics of the, the sea itself, of the water that goes alongside your model. Yes, that's right. It's a tricky area that they, uh, we, we also crunch the topography of the uh, area, which is quite, uh, which includes quite low area. So we need to be very careful in terms of where the water is coming from and which shelter might be not really safe. And we discussed this issue with residents, which I think that was really good, good thing about our research. And so what were the main findings of your research then either from those workshops or what the simulation itself told you i think what we found really good was that people realized that it's not just about their own community it's about the whole area for example one resident commented on us on our simulation that um then 
looking at simulation, oh, I didn't realize that people might be coming to our shelter from other part of the city. If they, if they think that their, their shelter is no longer safe, because usually the residents are just thinking about their nearest shelter, which also they are managing the emergency goods. So they were sort of, oh, we should start thinking about the possibility that people are coming from different directions or different neighborhoods. I think that was really quite alarming to people in particular who, who's involved in the uh, rescue and relief activities. Did the model tell you something about traffic as well, about where might be the, the, the areas of congestion and what the particular dangers might be there? One of the really interesting things was that it was able to um, emulate patterns of traffic jams. So, for example, uh, backups in vehicles when getting into a shelter. But it was also able to therefore say, allow us to experiment with understanding what would happen if more residents walked, uh, if more residents took vehicles and so forth. Um, based on some of the survey work Hitomi has done, there's a really interesting trend uh, among local populations to walk because of the um, difficulties with those kind of vehicle backups. But so we were seeing um, traffic patterns which the residents felt were, were broadly consistent with their experiences outside of their own shelters at least. So we were able to recreate those kind of higher level traffic patterns in ways that seemed realistic to people who drove on those roads every day. I see. So that's more sort of uh, reassurance that your model is, is, is representing the world effectively. Then I, I think it was especially helpful also because that then meant that when um, we incorporated Professor Swenega's storm surge model, which is extremely detailed, informed by, you know, He's literally done dives to the bottom of the um, regional sea to, to ensure. Yeah, I saw that in the paper. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, practical, practical elements. He's my hero. <laughs> it's, it's super cool. Um, but so he has this incredible storm surge model. Uh, but I think it's very difficult for people to understand what it would be like for um, a storm surge to happen there. They can't understand how... Um, that might come to pass. And as Hitomi said earlier, there's a really big issue where people, uh, especially elderly people, will wait until it's too late. It gets higher than they realized and they're suddenly in a bad situation and have waited too long. And so having this model with traffic that they recognized, with shelters that they recognized, with you know, sort of behavioral patterns that they recognized and being able to say, you know, you're going to have crowding here probably, or uh, this road will probably be impassable. It hit very differently for people because they were able to kind of see themselves in that context. For, for whatever reason, that, that interaction made people feel more situated in the emergency and better able to plan for what they might want to do or what they might want to be sure they didn't do if that were to happen. So a final question then really is, um... What are the next steps from this research? Have you got any more plans to do more work yourselves? Uh, or are you expecting or hoping that other researchers might build on this in certain ways? Or how, what's the plan going forward then? Yeah, we you touched 
on the tsunami, uh, which is I think the whole Japan is really uh, concerned about. But we were actually going to do the tsunami evacuation modeling this year by doing more field work. But fortunately, uh, the COVID-19 prohibited us in traveling. So <laughs> our next mm. plan is to do uh, more field work in, uh, around, the set, along the Seto Inland Sea area. We did a little bit last year, but we need to continue. And then the, even if it's a Seto Inland area, the probability of having tsunami is quite high. Uh, if there is a huge earthquake, such as we um, the 2011 one, so in Japan we are expecting that Nankai Trough earthquake will be happening quite soon. And if this happens, even the inland area might be having a tsunami. And this Takamatsu region has quite a lot of peninsular area, which means that once the water comes. Uh, tsunami comes to the shore, it rises up to the hill, which makes a huge uh, threat to, to the, to the uh, area. So we would like to do a tsunami uh, evacuation simulation by updating this simulation. We're also interested in exploring a little bit more the impact of the aging population of the region. So coming to understand how people's uh, mobility patterns and comfort in terms of leaving their homes, how those are going to translate more or less successfully into um, evacuation efforts. Because as, uh, as, as we've mentioned previously, the aging population is such a point of interest in Japan right now, uh, and for good reason. My name is uh, Ranga Wargadalam. Uh, I am a planning staff at the Indonesian Ministry of uh, Development Planning. Uh, it's called Bapanas in Indonesia. And I am now currently um, doing my PhD in University of Can Canberra uh, with the topic of, of research in tsunami evacuation. Okay, great. Thanks very much for talking to us. Um, so I'd really like to know a little bit more about your role um, in government then. So what, what does it involve day-to-day? -day, what are you doing? Uh, what's the, the sort of parameters of the role? Uh, so our work here uh, in, in Bapadas, uh, that's the name of my office, the development planning for the whole government of Indonesia, where each ministry or each department, um, they work with us in trying to get what they will do with the budget that uh, they have each year. Um, so in a sense, we help them, uh, focus on what the priorities of their development will be. And also we do that for the medium term of five years and also in the longer term of, uh, 25 years. Okay. And what, what sort of projects then, um, are they looking at funding in terms of development? Uh, it goes, it goes a whole range of, of, of the whole government. So from, uh, from housing to infrastructure of streets, uh, harbors, and everything. Uh, so we we each have our own directorate uh, focusing on each sector of the government. Um, and uh, in my in my sec in my directorate is in security and defense. So we work with the Ministry of Defense, we work with the police, we work with the intelligence uh, agency, and we help them uh, develop their 
planning each year uh, and their budget each year to get their uh, budget in, in line. Indonesia is obviously a fascinating country um, for, for, for something like this, because obviously you've got hundreds of islands spread out across a huge area. I mean, the, the logistics of, of doing the work you do um, must be quite complicated, I imagine. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, so we have uh, and what we have is uh, in our office called sectoral planning, where uh, we have plans where each in different sectors of the of development. Uh, so infrastructure and then uh, social economy and education. But we also because of how uh, how big the geography of the Indonesia itself. So we have also regional planning and we try to match that uh, together. So we have a our own unit that focuses only on uh, regional planning to make sure that the development in each uh, regions in Indonesia is uh, balanced and and also the how the how the budget goes so that in a sense no one in Indonesia feels left out in uh, the development. So for the purpose of this this episode then um, I'm really interested in how simulation modeling uh, interacts with the work you do. Right one of the problem especially uh, in planning and in budgeting, especially for in budget, uh, in a sense, is trying to justify uh, the money that you're asking. And what I found was, uh, especially not nowadays, that people don't like to read a whole bunch of textbooks, especially, in, and that's what I think uh, in Indonesia, personally, I felt that government documents now are more uh, visualized to get it more broader, especially when now is when more of the public wants to know what the government uh, is trying to do. So visualization helps justify uh, the work that is the government is trying to do, uh, justify that the budget they're asking. And this simulation is, I think it's one of the uh, key tools that we can use in governments just so that it's easier for people to see uh, what it is trying to do. I see. So simulation can be very visual, good at communicating um, what perhaps research is, is saying in a way that people who are not experts can understand. That is correct. That's correct. And so are there any particular examples um, of areas in which simulation has been used uh, in your work? An example of that visualization could be uh, what the disaster management in Indonesia are trying to uh, inform the public, uh, especially on the different hazards uh, that that their community might be facing in the future. So nowadays, what I see is uh, inter interactive uh, hazard maps of Indonesia, uh, especially using apps uh, on smartphones, are uh, are made available uh, for the public, just so that the that. It's one is much easier to uh, inform the public, and second is uh, the public is has a much easier time to understand, uh, especially now that they ha uh, that they can locate themselves in the map with uh, with uh, geolocating themselves in maps and seeing using different colors of uh, risk that they have in in their in their uh, community and kind of help them prepare for hazards in the future. Right, I see. So, yeah, with a simulation model, you can maybe show the interaction between maps, the geography, and uh, and what the research is saying, and that can be helpful to communicate to the public and, and to, to the government, I guess. Right. Okay, great. So, um, 
that's a little bit about your work. Um, but you're also doing a, a PhD. You're also studying at the moment. So what is it that you're, you're studying? Well, I'm doing it similar to the uh, work that uh, Hitomi and Sarah are doing. So I'm focusing on a village in Indonesia, Pangandaran village. I'm developing an agent-based simulation of that village in case of when a tsunami happens or there is a tsunami warning. Uh, how will the people in that village react? How will that those people try to evacuate? Where will mm -hmm. they evacuate? And seeing the consequences, for instance, of them not evacuating immediately, uh, but what we call a milling time. So essentially, they don't start uh, evacuating right away because one, they might try to look for the family. Uh, they might try mm -hmm. to get they, their important things from their homes uh, or even uh, sometimes looking for information before they then they are confident that they need to evacuate. And that increases the risk that they have of the hazard. Uh, so trying to simulate that and later on, uh, using that simulation to discuss with the communities in that village to see how they can better prepare themselves uh, for tsunamis in the future. Okay, so yeah, this is quite similar to the work we heard about from Tommy and Sarah. Yeah, so this is a small village. Uh, it's the south coast of the island of Java. This is one of the larger islands of Indonesia, um, the island where Jakarta is, the capital is also there. Many people listening to the podcast might well remember the... Um, obviously the, the devastating uh, 2004 uh, Indian Ocean tsunami. I don't know whether that affected this village particularly, but I do know this village was also hit by a tsunami, a smaller one in 2006, which was quite um, quite devastating. That's right, yeah? That is correct. Uh, so one of the reasons that I, I picked uh, this village as a study case is I wanted to see if that experience has helped them prepare better uh, uh, and talk to them what they experienced themselves, uh, what did they do in 2006 when they experienced that tsunami, and what do they think they will do uh, in the future. In one sense, you can see what lessons they learned from their experience, but in another, in another sense, you can see that although they have experienced a tsunami, uh, there are some decisions that might be uh, not questionable, but not optimal in uh, reducing the risk that they have in, in, in the future evacuation uh, process. And so how how detailed is the, the simulation you're building of this uh, village then? Do you have uh, every individual building? Um, do you have the geography? Do you have every individual citizen? The, how, how fine grained are you getting? Um, currently working with uh, households, so uh, not individual uh, individual people themselves evacuating. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm working with households because my my thoughts are that usually households, uh, a family would travel together uh, when they evacuate. Uh, and, and other things is that when the location of school, so for instance, if, if children are at school and not currently with their family, uh, they're outside of the village, uh, which is safer. So, uh, the evacuation itself would be uh, the adults. Uh, mm -hmm. So then uh, it could justify that you could still use uh, households. Uh, the other details would be uh, the road works, uh, the roads that are currently in the village. Uh, there are uh, buildings inside the village, but not as detailed as I want it to be. Uh, for instance, uh, whether I I'm not able to use uh, 
those uh, buildings or houses as potential uh, shelters because there's no data of how 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 many floors of each buildings there are uh, in each in in the simulation. Uh, but I think uh, I think uh, what the purpose of my res my research for me is that not really in detailing of how of how real the simulation can be, but having it using it only as a tool to help communicate with the villagers and also with the the, the government there uh, to get them a, give them a sense of uh, what could happen of in the simulation um, based on uh, the responses that they uh, they they gave and of course then they would know their village uh, much better and see whether uh, the simulation itself can really reflect of what they think that they will do in that evacuation. Okay, I see. So you, you've tried to make it so in your model, in your simulation, the behaviors of the individuals as they're evacuating or deciding whether to evacuate are as accurate as possible based on what you know about uh, the, the people who live there. And then you're you're showing this simulation to the people who live there to demonstrate them what the risks are. That is correct. And have you actually done that stage yet? Have you taken the simulation and shown it to the people in in um, Pangandaran? Oh no, not yet. Um, one is I'm still working on this simulation itself, and and the second is because of the condition of uh, uh, COVID right now, it is right. quite difficult to travel there, but. Uh, we are working this year uh, on having an online discussion with the, some of the residents there and basically streaming the simulation and then get their input through uh, online meetings. Okay, great. Uh, that's fascinating stuff. It'd be really interesting to see what the results are. Um, I mean, I have one final question, I think, sort of thinking back to your role in government. Um, are there any particular sort of advances in simulation that simulation models that you would really like to have in the future that would make your life a lot easier that could help you in your role? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, the simulations that that Hitomi has done and, and Sarah Hitomi and Sarah has done, and also what I'm trying to do is, in a sense, uh, rather than having trying to simulate or getting data as a national as a whole Indonesian. Uh, I know that each region, uh, especially uh, as a country as big as Indonesia, it's very, very different, and the people are very, very different. And using these kind of simulations, uh, where it, in cost-wise, economically, is much cheaper to do, uh, where each local government can do a, a simulation similar to the work that has been done uh, by Tommy and Sarah, and kind of have a, a more uh, decentralized uh, planning uh, rather than a whole program that the national government gives out to do for uh, everyone uh, in different regions where it might not uh, work for them. Uh, but having the kind of decentralized uh, uh, planning uh, is, I think is very helpful uh, just to get the uh, work that is useful for uh, the people uh, in, the, in that region. Right. So locally tailored solutions, I see. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been really interesting. And um, I wish you the best of luck in, in the work you're doing. Oh, thank you, Thomas. I, I, was, it was a, I think it was a great discussion. 
That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to The Global Lab. Our guests this week were Hitomi Nakanishi, Sarah Wise, and Ranga Wagadalam, so thanks to them too. The interviewer was Thomas Evans, Jamie Danom did the recording, and the editing was by me, Leah Lovett. You can follow us on Twitter at The Global Lab, all one word. Get in touch and let us know what you think of the show. You can also visit our SoundCloud page, the-global-lab, where you'll find links related to our guests. Thank you.